Man, you TNT guys, you guys rock. Give them a hand of applause. Yeah, oh, it was so good. Can they hear me? Can you guys hear me? Can, can I turn it up? I can't hear myself. Um, so yeah, you guys can take a seat. So what we're going to do today is, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Jonah chapter 4? Now we're going to go through verses 1 to 10, verse by verse, but what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be very ambitious and trying to to tell you the whole story of Jonah, chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And so we heard the Bible reading today was, it starts off from the very get-go, but Jonah, this seems very wrong, and he was angry. Jonah was angry. So here, if you can observe him, church, he's just on this corner, and he is red-faced. He is puffing and huffing. His veins are popping out, and he is shaking his fist at who? At God. Now, why is he angry at God? Now, how did he get there? Now, if this was a movie and a scene, and if Jonah could break out of his fourth war, he says, you're wondering how I got here. Let me explain. And so then time rewinds back to a few days ago to about a week ago. And so what's going to happen is we're going to see how Jonah exactly got there. How did he get so angry and so mad at the Almighty God? But before we do that, would you pray with me? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for today, Lord. We, we thank you for, you know, just seeing the teens. We just see the next generation, you know, stepping up. And Lord, we're just so excited. We know that you're going to use them. And Lord, would would you send your Holy Spirit now in this place to, to help us understand what you, you want to teach us? May we hear you, Lord, and may you give us the courage to step out boldly on what the challenges are going to be. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So time travels back, and we're at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Don't worry, I'm not going to go verse each verse. Jonah 1, verse 1. One day, Jonah gets a, a word from the Lord. And what happens was God was telling him, Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against them. And Jonah's like, what? Go preach to the Ninevites. What? Now, why is Jonah saying what so many times? He, he is, he's not liking what he's hearing. He's baffled by what he's heard. Why? Because the city of Nineveh back in that ancient day was the capital city of the ancient empire, Assyria. Now, they were the big boys. They were the biggest, the baddest, they were the meanest, they were the cruelest, most brutal nation at that time. They are in the ruling power. What happens is they will go to war constantly, nearly every single year. Why? Because their nation loves war. They love the killing, the blood. They would go and they will burn down villages. They will rape people. They, they will they go to war so then they can kill people. They can pillage and they can loot. What they do to their enemies, leaders, is that they will put them in a public stand. They will rip out their lips, rip out their limbs, just to show, look at our military power, that we mean business. And so everybody else watching, they can see their leader and be like, okay, we're not going to try anything funny. Now, this was them. And why they go to war every single year is they go out just to, to battle against other nations. Why? To enslave them. Because each year they would have a quota. They need manual labors because the Assyrian Empire, they love to build buildings. 
like libraries and, and palace and other architectural projects. But they need the manpower for that. And instead of hiring their own, they will just go out and they will take them so that they can bring back and build these magnificent buildings and, and, and palaces at the expense of others. Now, this was a selfish nation. This was an evil, wicked nation. And God said to Jonah, Jonah, go and preach against them. Go and tell them that they're wrong. And Jonah's like, what? And so Jonah roses from his bed and he, and he goes to this port city named Joppa. Are you there, church? You hear the gentle wind whistling. You hear the sound of seagulls chirping. You hear the waves crash against the ships. The ropes in the sails are moving rhythmically and you hear the squeaks of the ropes. Now this peace and tranquility, it doesn't last for long because the sun rises in the, and you see ships coming in and out of the port. You see people putting cargo in and loading, loading the boats with cargo. You see people starting, start to put up their, their stands and, and they're selling all types of different food and, and merchandise and, and it's getting noisy. It's getting busy. A mass of humanity. And within this crowd, you see a man holding his ticket. Now he's waiting in line. Now that man was Jonah. As he gets to the front of the line, the sailor asks him, where are you heading? And this is what Jonah says. Parshish. All right, yep, wait at platform 9.934. Now, hang on a minute. What, what city did God tell Jonah to go to? Nineveh. But he goes to Tarsus. Now, if you know your geography well and if you know your maps well, from Joppa to get to Nineveh, it was only 800 kilometers east. But do you know where Jonah went? He went 4,000 kilometers west. He went the opposite direction. The most, he didn't want to be anywhere near Nineveh. He went to the place where it was the most west in the known world of his time. They didn't have, you know, the globe back then. Probably flat earth. I, I don't know. But Tarshish was the most west place away from that city of Nineveh. Now, before we can point the fingers at him, sometimes we are that disobedient. Sometimes we can get really creative with our disobedience. It took him five times the effort to not listen to God. And he goes to that place. Why? You don't blame him. Knowing the city of Nineveh, it's just like you telling the Jew, a Jew in World War II to go preach to Adolf Hitler. Or, or today, when, if God suddenly gives you a message to go preach to ISIS. Man, that's, that's a tough call. That's a tough call to follow. And so Jonah is running away. The story continues. He's on this voyage now. And the Bible says God sends a great wind out at sea. It was so great that it, returned, it turned into a massive storm. So it's been crazy in Perth for the last three days or so. But imagine, like you're at home, you, you feel okay because there's solid ground, but imagine outside at sea. And if you hit a storm at that magnitude, you'd be freaking out. And so these sailors in this boat, they're all freaking out. 
These are seasoned sailors. They've been on this job and this journey for ages, but yet they're freaking out. And the captain is running around, finding as many people so all hands can be on deck so that they can stay afloat because the boat is about to break. And he's running around like a headless chicken. And then he runs down the deck. And who does he see? He sees Jonah. And what is Jonah doing? Our boy's sleeping. How can you be sleeping in a time like this? Wake up, go and pray to your God. Would it be a tomato? I don't know, a cow, whatever. Just pray to anything. And whoever answers will worship that God. Just pray. And they're all freaking out. They're all confused. And all the sailors are wondering what's happened. And so they cast lots. Now that's a superstitious way, but it's equivalent of spinning the bottle. And the bottle spun and it pointed to Jonah. And they asked Jonah, what's happening? Now Jonah, he's not shocked by the dice or the the bottle pointing to him. He's not shocked. He's not phased. He knew what was coming. And our boy says, oh yeah, um, yeah, I'm kind of running away from the God who created the, the heavens, the earth, and the sea. Yeah, I'm kind of running away from that God. And they're like, the Bible says they became deeply afraid of like, what are you doing? Because of one man, the whole boat was pretty much contaminated, was pretty much in danger. Now, church, I want to point this out to you. Sometimes when you sin, you think you're only going to affect yourself. Sometimes when you rebel against God, you think it's only, your own, only you are going to face the consequences. But it's not true. It will affect everyone on board your ship. It will affect everybody else. Now, the movie Avengers, Infinity War, you had a month to see it, so too bad. Spoilers alert, whatever. The whole team, well, not the whole team, they were, they were trying to snatch the Gronlant from Thanos. They were so close Mantis put him to sleep and everything, and and Spider-Man is trying to rip it out. But then Star-Lord. Oh, I got so angry in the cinema. Star-Lord couldn't just wait a minute, and he just started punching Thanos' face, and Thanos wakes up, and then we know what happens. The Avengers loses because of one guy's mistake. Now, you know it's out there. You may argue differently, but it's Star-Lord's mistake. <laughs> or remember that time where you were back in school and there was this kid that got the whole class in trouble. I remember as clear as day in year three, we managed to piss off our teacher, Mr. McKay. And he was so angry. He said, after lunchtime, when the bell rings, no, when the bell for lunchtime rings, you know what? You're all going to stay in here for five minutes. Now, five minutes, that was huge to a three, a year three, you know? Five minutes is very precious. Like, who wants to go to school? Everyone just loves the lunchtime and the morning tea time so they can play with their friends. So five minutes was hurtful. So the bell rings and the whole class is, is waiting in silence. But there was a condition. If anyone speaks, if I hear a noise, a cough, guess what? The time restarts. 
It's like two minutes in. This kid, he, he starts talking and everyone is just looking at him and not impressed and they're so angry. Now the hangry kids wanted to eat him. And so time restarted. And we're waiting and we're waiting. And everyone's looking at that stopwatch. Four minutes, 50 seconds. And the same kid cracks a joke. But this time, no one's laughing and everyone's saying, Shut up, Vino. I was that kid. They were not impressed. So my classmates, if you are listening on our podcast, I'm sorry. (laughs) Your sin, you do not suffer for it just alone. No, you will affect the people around you. So keep that mindful, church. So with pale faces and, and other sailors grasping, Sweats on their brow, they're asking Jonah, what must we do? And Jonah just calmly and coolly says, throw me off the boat. And now they're thinking, man, this guy, there's something wrong with his head. Like you run away from an almighty God who's apparently omnipotent, which means he's everywhere. And now you want us to throw you off the boat? Nah. And so they try to to rescue him. They, they, they're trying to, you know, row back and land, but then the winds and the waves got worse. And so they changed their mind. All right, you have to go now. And so they pick Jonah up and they throw him overboard. But then a miracle happens. The Bible says God then provides a fish, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in this fish. Now, Some people think it's a whale. Now at this point, some of you guys may think, oh man, that's just a fairy tale. Like, you know, that's not even scientifically true. Like how can someone survive in a belly of fish for three days? That's a fairy tale. That's a a story for the Sunday school children. No, no, no. This is a story for every Christian adult as well. Why? Because this prophet named Jonah, he's a real person. Now, you can read more about him in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. He served for the nation. He was recognized as a prophet of the Lord during his time. And another person who thought Jonah was real was, was Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 11 or Matthew chapter 12, Jesus recounts Jonah's story. His account as literal, as true. Now, if the God-man says Jonah is real. Do you know, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lean towards Jesus. If Jesus says it's true, then I'm going to believe it's true. Now, how can you doubt that someone can stay in a fish for three days and survive? And if you can't believe that, then I also have to question your faith because you believe in a virgin birth and you believe in a guy who, who died for three days but rose again. You believe in the resurrection. So this story of a fish means nothing. God can do the impossible. So three days later, after God sends this fish, it says this this great fish spits Jonah out to his destination. So God sends a great fish. Why? To save Jonah 
and to bring Jonah back on course. Jonah was running away, but you know what? God was like, I'm having none of this. And he was in hot pursuit of Jonah. Caught Jonah and brought him where he's meant to be. And during that journey, you, you read Jonah's prayer. He's, he's repenting. He's like, fine. God, I'll fine. I'll, I'll preach to, you, to your people. But then he kind of smirks because then we read as he gets to the city of Nineveh, on the very first day, he gets to this great city. He preaches one of the most shortest, most unloving sermons that's ever recorded in the Bible. Do you know what he says? This is, this is what he says. Repent or else 40 days later, you're going to die. And that's it. And, he, and then he steps off. God bless you, church. And he goes home. But to his shock and horror, the Bible says everyone from the greatest to the least believed. They started repenting. Even the king put on sackcloth and was praying out to God, oh, please, God, we, we repent. Don't have compassion on us. And the Bible says God did have compassion. And God did not destroy them. And now we're up to date. We're up to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. And this is why Jonah is standing here. He's shaking his fist. His face is red. Veins are popping. And he's saying, why, God? I'm so angry at you, God. I'm so greatly angry at you, God. Now, I'm going to give you three words in the Hebrew. Just just three words. I know it's a big stretch. But the first word I want to talk to you about is the word great, then the word provide, then the word compassion. Now, the word for great, it's used here in verse 1, is gadol. It says that Jonah was greatly displeased. He was greatly angry. Now, the word great gets used again and again in the book of Jonah. If you go back home and read it, God sent a great wind. God sent a great fish. God sent, oh, the sailors were greatly afraid. From the greatest to the least believed in God, God had great compassion for the great city of Nineveh. And now here, Jonah is greatly angry. Now, there's a lot of greats in the book of Jonah, but we know that Jonah is not great at all. And so you can't read the story as mediocre or mild. You just can't read along every single sentence in this passage or in this book, it's, it's dramatic. It's, it's epic. And so verse 2, Jonah starts saying to the Lord, this is what he's saying. Oh Lord, I knew this would happen when the day I left my home. I knew you were too gracious. I knew you were too nice. You were too merciful. You're too gracious, compassionate, slow to anger. You're abundant in love. And God's like, yeah, yeah, you got me. You got me. Like, what a terrible thing that you're accusing me of, Jonah. Like, God, you're so terrible because you're so nice. Like, seriously, he's upset about that. And it's ironic because the very life of Jonah rests on the very goodness of God. When he rebelled, he should have drowned and died. But no, God saves him. But he's okay with God saving him, but he was not okay with God saving others. He was okay with God forgiving him, but he was not okay with God forgiving others. And Jonah is like, God, 
kill me now. Just kill me. And then he takes a drink break. Now I'm reading this story, the whole story of the book of Jonah. The way that you're meant to read it is, is as a comedy. The book of Jonah, its genre is satire. It's pointing out the folly. You're meant to be laughing at this, this, this idiotic prophet named Jonah. Because if I was God, and I'm, when I was reading this as a kid, I'm like, God, just send down some lightning. Just kill the guy. You can find anybody else. Like, you don't need him. God, like, how dare he diss you? God, kill me now. But you know what God does? He doesn't kill him now. God then does this, asks Jonah, Jonah, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you angry, Jonah? Jonah's like, just kill me now. And he... The Bible says he, he walks outside the city. He, he builds himself a little shelter. I imagine he's sitting on this, this little seat with, with a beer and, he, and he's just waiting and hoping with all his heart that God would still destroy the city of Nineveh. That God will send out a nuke. That God will send out a meteorite or something. Like destroy that sucker of a place, God. Change your mind. And he's cheering God on to do those things. But while he was waiting, he was waiting in the Middle Eastern sun. And our boy Jonah, it's getting hot. Our boy is sweating. And he's in discomfort. Despite Jonah being like that, being so self-entitled, so angry at God, you know what God does? The Bible says God provides a plant. Why? To give Jonah's head some shade. And it says, Jonah was greatly, the same word here, gadol, he was greatly happy about the plant. But then the next day, God then also provided a worm to kill the plant. Then when the sun rose, he also provided a great scorching easterly wind. And so now, can you just imagine it? So just... For the sake of imagination, imagine that Jonah is bold. The UV rays is hitting his head, blazing over his head. Our boy now is not just sweating, he's dehydrated. He's growing faint. And again, he's begging God, just kill me now. I'm so angry. Now, I want you to also see something throughout the book of Jonah. Is that word provide. It gets repeated again and again. Now, that word is manna. God provided the great storm. God provided the great fish. God provided the, the plants. And God also provided the worm. Now, why did God provide the worm to kill the plant? Why is that? Because if we think about it, are we not like Jonah? Was there not once a day where we were feeling some discomfort? Where we're feeling, oh God, I'm so lonely. Oh God, I'm so poor. I I need a job. Oh God, I need this. I need that. And God was gracious and and he sent those things. He provided a plant to save us from that discomfort. But before we knew it, as time came along, 
We were so greatly happy about that vine, about that plant. And before we knew it, God sent a worm. Now, sometimes we, we blame the devil for our losses, but no, no, no. Sometimes God provides a worm. You might find yourself saying, God, why did I lose her? Why did I lose my boyfriend? Why, why did I get fired? Why did I lose my job? Why is my business spiraling down? Why did I lose my health? Why did God provide the worm? God provided it. It's God's worm. God sends the whale to save you, to lead you back on course. God sends the plant. He provides the plant to give you some comfort. But sometimes God will also give you the worm. Why? It's to remind you to focus, to see what is more precious, what is the true priority. And God asked again, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry over this vine? And Jonah's like, yes. So angry. In verse 10, then the Lord said, you have been concerned. And now that that word concern, it's our last word for today, is that word compassion. Why are you concerned? Why are you so compassionate over this vine? Though you didn't make it grow, you didn't do anything to it. It grew overnight, but it died overnight. What does that have any concern to you? But Nineveh has 120,000 people who cannot tell from their right hand, from their left hand, and they had cattle as well. Now this is, you know, vegans were like, yeah, that's why you don't eat animals. But no, it's not, it's not talking about that. But what does this all mean? Why is God saying, why are you more compassionate over these vines rather than these people who didn't know their left from their right? What God is asking is, Jonah, do you care? You got your priorities all wrong. You care more about plants than people. People who can't tell their left from their right. So scholars have two views on this. One is that they're so morally deprived that they don't know what they're doing wrong. Or two, God is talking about babies and toddlers because babies and toddlers, they don't know what's left and what's right. Now, if that's true for the second case that, that God cares for the babies and the kids and Jonah doesn't, oh man, here we have on our hands a jerk. Here we have on our hands a joke of a prophet. Here we have on our hand an ass. As we are the spectators, as we look into the satire, this comedy being played out, as we are laughing and pointing at the idiocy and the immaturity of this prophet named Jonah, what are we really doing? Now, one of the shows that was really popular around the 90s was uh, Seinfeld. Anybody watch that? <laughs> okay, true Seinfeld fan, right up. Now, Seinfeld had these four main characters who lived in New York. Now, episodes after episodes, we see their character development and their characters are bad. They, they're idiots. They do really weird things and stupid things and they're self-pity and they're really selfish, self-indulging. 
But episode after episode, people would laugh. Or it's that you know, computer button where it's the same generic laugh all the time. But everyone laughing and pointing at these four characters. And to end off their show, the, the great finale of the show, what happens is these four characters, they get, they get caught, they get, they get judged by a judge, and they get condemned as the most, as the most rotten, self-serving, self-indulging people. And everyone in the audience is like, yeah, we agree, but then there was a twist in the end. The judge turns around and says, those four whom you were laughing at, They're actually you. They're actually you. So if you ever opened the book of Jonah and you read things and you pointed at Jonah's faults and you laughed at him, what you're really doing is you're pointing at your own faults and you're laughing at yourself. Because have we not ever ran away and disobeyed God in our lives? Have we never ever got angry at God? Did we do things that were hurtful to others, when, when so half-heartedly, when, when we go to church and serve, did we ever do it half-heartedly? You're just doing it because it was out of obligation and duty. There was no heart involved. There was no love involved. Have you ever cared more about a temporal vine rather than the eternal soul of the people around you? Why? Jonah, Why do you care so much about the temporal things? The things that sprang out of the ground for one day and one the other night it's gone. Why do you care and put so much effort and weight into things that only last a few decades and then rust and then gets destroyed, it gets stolen, rather than the eternal souls of people? Jonah, you're so comfortable of where you are. And when you lose that thing that makes you comfortable, what, you're, you're angry at me? You're, you're, you're gut wrench. You're, you're compassionate over this, this vine? Now, the Hebrew word compassion, now I know I'm stretching you a lot with the original language here, but when a Jew talk about compassion, they don't point to their head, they don't point to their heart, but they actually point and touch their gut when they talk about compassion. What is Compassion. It means to be moved deeply by the deepest part of who you are, to be stirred, to be gut-wrenched, stomach-churning that pushes you into action to relieve someone of their discomfort, of their misery. It's comfort that pushes you towards brokenness and mess. For instance, this word appears in Exodus when God heard the cry of these people. He, was, he had compassion this gut-wrenching feeling, and he moved and he sent Moses down in the basket in the now, like Reverend Steve Chong talked about last week. And here, the same word is used. You're more moved about, and you're more concerned, you're more compassionate about a dying plant rather than the people in the city that's going to perish eternally. Church, let's be honest with each other. What do you care about? The reason why I've chosen this passage for, for Oikos Church is, is because sometimes I think we're more compassionate about our sports team 
the scores of our sports team. Sometimes we are more compassionate about that movie that's on the horizon. Sometimes we care more about our exams, our grades, our marks. And sometimes, I know some of you will even take weeks off just to study some more. Now, is, is God going to look at your mark at the end of time and say, oh, well done, you got an A plus here. Some of us care more and more compassionate and more concerned about money, about our own business, about the car we drive, the shoes we wear, the house that we live in, the brand clothes that, that we buy. Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad things, but in the weight and in the light of eternity, those things mean nothing. They're so light. But when it comes to being compassionate about others, we may step back and we're like, oh, God just called Jonah a prophet. No, 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 no. God also called us. Jesus has given us a great commission. Now, that wasn't just for his disciples, but all his disciples to make disciples, and it's an eternal loop that keeps going on until the word and the gospel of God is is preached throughout the world. Why should we be compassionate? I'm going to ask the band to come up as um, I'm going to close off very soon. Let me ask you, church, when was the last time you shared your faith with anyone? Was it a while? Why should we be compassionate? Let me tell you, because there was once a day where God first showed us compassion. That's why we need to show compassion to others. God was so moved. He was so gut-wrenched. You know who He sent? He sent Himself. He sent a better Jonah. Jesus had to go down from his comforts, the, the comfortable throne that he sat in a place called heaven, where the state of heaven, everything was prestige and pristine, yet he came into the flesh born of a virgin in a feeding trough. It was compassion that moved God into a broken, messy, sinful world. Unlike Jonah, who ran away from his enemies, Jesus ran towards his enemies, preaching a gospel and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Yes, Jonah risked his life as he preached to a people, a cruel people like the Assyrians. But Jesus, he didn't come to risk his life. He came to give it. Jonah's audience received his message well. But Jesus' audience, his crowd, was not amused. And it caused Jesus to say, my own did not receive me not. Jonah was received, but Jesus was rejected. Jonah went outside of the city on his own free will out of, because he was angry. But Jesus was dragged outside of a city, 
accused of being a criminal, whipped, mocked, and scorned, as we put the nails in his hands, as we put the nails in his feet, the, the crown of thorns on his head. You know what Jesus was saying? He wasn't cursing at you. Unlike Jonah, who was sitting on a chair holding a beer, saying, God, nuke them now. He was cheering, God, send down a mineral right. He does not care about those who doesn't know from their the left hand and to the right hand. But do you know what Jesus Christ says on the cross? Do you know what He prays? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jonah was thrown off a boat but Jesus was thrown on the cross. Jonah faced the storm that he deserved, but Jesus faced the storm that he didn't deserve. The storm was the wrath of God, the righteous anger against all sin, against all the sin of humanity, past, present, and future was on his shoulders. And he suffered that storm for you and I. Jonah was swallowed by a fish for three days, and Jesus was swallowed by the tomb for three days. But church, I want to give you some good news because he did not stay in that grave. No, no, he rose again. And with that, sin was dealt with. Our debt was paid. And what was on offer was mercy, grace, and compassion. Now today, as as we're about to go into the time of Holy Communion, as we drink from that cup that is the blood of Christ, as we eat the bread, which is His broken body for us, may we remember, this is why Oikos Church, this is why we can show compassion because there was once a holy, loving being who once was compassionate towards us. God bless you, church.